What are the two reasons why you should never drink toilet water? Number one and number two. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to Starting Sustainability. This is episode 137. I am your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Before we get started with today's main content, we are going to catch up with Kaylin and learn all about my fun, exciting life for the last couple of weeks. My oldest son, Corbin, who is four, was sent home from preschool because he had pink eye. Turns out there was an outbreak. He was one of six in his class who had pink eye, which is so fun. <laughs> it meant that he got to be at home with me because I work from home all week long. It was very stressful and challenging. He Overall, he was a pretty good kid. He got over it. There was a, a lot of hand washing, a lot of Lysol disinfectant all over the place because I did not want that stuff to spread. Pink eye is freaking contagious. And I definitely did not want that to spread to anybody else in the household. And knock on wood, we've been good. Nobody else has received it yet. So I'm happy about that. The last episode launched the day before Valentine's Day. So now, I'm, now I will go all the way back to Valentine's Day, which is also Channing's birthday. At that point in time, Corbin had pink eye and we had a tax appointment on Valentine's Day. Therefore, we waited until the weekend to celebrate. <laughs> but what's really cool is that it has been one year since I made birthday decorations and they still look fantastic. This is quite an accomplishment for me. When I did this last year, I made the happy birthday banner and birthday hats that are much more sustainable and designed to be long-term instead of single use. We've been using them for an entire year and it's great. We have a little plastic box at the house that's up in the pantry. And whenever it's somebody's birthday, we pull it down, instantly have hats, candles, and a birthday banner that we hang up. We've got hooks up on the wall. We have a special spot where we put them. The hooks just stay up there because they're the clear little command strip hooks that just stay there. Anyways. We've been doing it for a whole year. It's going strong. I'm super excited. I now realize I need to make one more hat for little baby Hazley. Not that she'll wear it right now. She's only three months, so she'll just cry and rip it off. But at some point in time, she's going to need a hat. So I have time on my side to create another hat. In the HR world, year-end reviews kicked off in January. At my company, we do peer reviews and self-reviews and then manager reviews. The managers do what we call a downward review. So the manager reviews down as well. So you have peer, self, and manager. The review season is slowing down now at this point. It's not over yet, but I'm able to breathe. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. A little bit less stress on my plate. And apparently being in HR means that I now have to become a tax expert because there are many staff members coming to me asking questions about their W-2s or W-4s or tax withholdings. They're upset because they owe money on taxes. It's been quite a headache, actually. <laughs> it's not even been close to fun. It's been very miserable. I did not know a whole lot about taxes. I just knew enough to get by and how to not get in trouble. So this has been quite an eye-opening experience. I had to watch a lot of YouTube videos and do some crash courses and figure this out so I can somewhatly advise my staff on how to properly fill out their W-4. My HR tip for this episode is to check your pay stubs and make sure federal taxes are being taken out. And if they are not, 
that should be a red flag. And if they are, they need to be around 9 to 10% of your taxable income. So if they're only taking out $5 a paycheck or $3 a paycheck, that is not close at all. It is up to you as the employee to review your pay stubs and make sure that the right amount of tax is being withheld. And if it is not, you can change your W-4. Fun fact, you can change your W-4 up to 52 times in one year. There basically is no limit on changing your W-4. The W-4 is that form that you fill out when you get a brand new job. And on that form, you're communicating how much to withhold for federal taxes. If you do not know how to fill out that form, you should watch a YouTube video. It's about four minutes long to educate yourself on how to do that. That's me on my soapbox. (laughs) I will get off now, but this has been very stressful dealing with all of this with over 100 employees. There's about 2025 that did not know how to do this and they're all coming to me angry when in fact it was them who didn't do the paperwork correctly. I'm just going to clean up the mess and move forward. That's what I can do. Moving on to more pleasant topics. I got to go shopping this past weekend. I'm so excited. Being a mom of three means I rarely get to go shopping. I rarely have me time to go shopping. And if I do go shopping, it's usually met with, can you please take one of the kids with you? No, no, I don't want to take one of the kids with me because it's not going to be a very pleasant experience at all. (laughs) If you remember last year, I put it on my bucket list and I accomplished it to not buy any more than five brand new items of clothing and to get everything from a that was pre-loved from a secondhand shop or take what I have and make it work and repair it. And I did that and I did great. I need pants. I need pants so badly. I have gone through three pregnancies now with the same pair of pants. They are worn out. <laughs> they are about four or five years old and between the cheap quality of jeans that I bought at that time weight changes with pregnancy, washing and drying. I found out that you're not supposed to dry your jeans because it will wear them out faster. I didn't know that, but they all got holes in them and they're the kind of holes that you can't repair. Like the ones that go right through the crotch area or the pocket, like right under your butt. These are the stretchy jeans. So it's very hard to repair that and have it look flattering. Anyways, I needed new, new jeans. These these did not look good on me anymore. They're beyond repair. They're the stretchy jeans. All of the stretchy parts were stretched out. So I had baggy knees and baggy jean pockets and it just didn't look good. Anyways, I gave myself permission to go buy pants because I desperately needed to. Anybody who has kids understands that to go shopping by yourself is a big ordeal. Now, as a courtesy, Channing and I try to make it easiest for the person who is staying at home with all three kids. So I left during nap time. I had a small window to go shopping, but I left during nap time to make his life a little bit easier. And that's fine. We do that for each other in our relationship. I did try used stores, secondhand shops, and did not have any luck. Jeans are tough. Jeans are very tough on women. Guys don't get it. When jeans are meant to be skin tight and you have an awkward shape, (laughs) you have to try on a lot of jeans. And when they are pre-worn, pre-loved, they're stretched out in the wrong spots. Since I was limited on time, I only was able to go to a couple of secondhand stores. No luck. I ended up going to Marshalls and TJ Maxx because they're right beside each other. They're closest to my house and I only had one hour left to shop before I was out of time. 
You got to make do with what you got. And I was already feeling terribly guilty about shopping for brand new items, knowing all that I know about how wasteful the fashion industry is and all of that stuff and how jeans don't break down in a landfill. So I felt terribly guilty, but I also needed pants. Anyways, while I'm there shopping, I did see some jeans with big stickers on them stating that they were made from recycled materials. Of course, I got really excited. I grabbed some in my size, or what I thought was my size. I don't really know because my weight has been fluctuating <laughs> after giving birth. <laughs> Anyways, I tried them on along with about 20 other pairs of jeans. Like I said, jeans are tough. <laughs> shirts, no problem. I can always find shirts that fit super well. Grab a medium, no problem. Never ever. Jeans, absolutely must try on. It's always a challenge. I tried on over 30 pairs of pants. I found four that fit well. Anyway, in the dressing room, I discovered that big tag on the jeans proclaiming they were made from recycled materials upon closer inspection stated the tag itself was made from recycled materials, not the jeans. I was so mad. Mad at the company for being tricky. The part of the sticker that was really big and stated made from recycled materials was very eye-catching and the words tag made from were very tiny. It was deliberate greenwashing. Very disappointed. Did I buy those jeans? No, they didn't fit. They didn't fit at all. But I felt less guilty not buying them once I realized it was just the tag that was on them that was made from recycled materials. But this is a lesson that I want to point out. It's easy to see something made from recycled materials. Now I feel less guilty. I'm excited to buy it. I grab it. I tried it on and that's when I inspected and saw it on the tag. I am sharing this story so you are also more mindful of this. We all need to be more mindful because companies want to sell and make money even if they trick you into it. It's wrong, it's really wrong and I'm mad, but the best I can do is share the story with you so you also know to look for that. To end this segment on a happy note, my mom told me that in our teeny tiny town in Indiana where I was born and raised, my, my parents still live there, there was a Radio Shack. So this is the old Radio Shack building because Radio Shack went out of business who knows how long ago, but the building has sat empty for quite some time now and it has been repurposed into a secondhand shop. Not just any secondhand shop. This secondhand shop's business model is to take donations of just about everything, kind of like Goodwill, Salvation Army, and resell it, but their goal is to provide a service to the community to make it easy for those in need. They are selling it just enough to keep the lights on. My mom was in there and saw some dressers because we actually need a dresser for Hazley's room. Right now we are using boxes to keep her clothes in because we have yet to dedicate time to go dresser shopping and I want to get used ones. I've been trying on Facebook Marketplace and it's not been working out. But anyways, my mom was in there and saw them. There's a handful, there's like four different dressers and asked how much and the woman said, what do you think, 25 bucks? I just need to make enough to keep the lights on. She is just doing this for good, not for profit, and I admire her for that. That's why I wanna give her a shout out. I think this is so great, so wonderful. I am willing to drive 45 minutes to my hometown to go shop at her store because what she's doing is good and I believe in it, which is what we are doing this weekend because we really need to get Hazley a dresser. I don't know about you guys or where you're at in the world, but in Indiana, in February, 
It is freakishly warm today. It is bright and sunny and a high of 67 degrees. The ground should be covered in snow right now, but instead it is beautiful, gorgeous, sunny weather. So (laughs) super excited. I don't know how long this is going to last. Everybody's calling it Fool's Spring. That's where we're at, full spring, because then winter's going to come right back next week. Who knows? The nice weather is great and wonderful because that's all that you need. Sunlight and fresh air, and that's how you can make water. Today, we're going to go over how to make water out of thin air. The sources that I use to create this content, first one is Konstantin Avdienko. He did a TED Talk on how to turn thin air into water. So there is a YouTube video that I watched for that. Another one is youngworldleaders.com. They have an article. Sandiego.edu also has an article about this. And I also watched another YouTube video about source panels, which I'm going to get into in just a few minutes. Way back in 2015, Konstantin Avdienko, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm most likely not. (laughs) At that point in time, he was 18 years old and he was from Russia, living in California and was a sophomore at the University of San Diego when he invented a way to make water from thin air. To explain the process for you over a podcast where I can't use visual effects, I'm going to do my best. (laughs) So sit here and think back. Have you ever had a nice cold glass of iced tea or lemonade on a hot sunny day? What happens to the glass after sitting outside for a few minutes? It starts to sweat, right? Where does that water on the outside of the glass come from? Thin air. This realization sparked Constantine's interest. I'm also going to share that there is a bug called, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher this, Stenocara grossilipes. It's basically a tiny little black bug. (laughs) It looks similar to a beetle, but it's not a beetle. just kind of looks similar to it. It lives in the Namib Desert, which is a very dry place, and it survives by drinking the water from the dew that collects on its back. It will literally stand on its head to get the water from the dew to slide down its back and into its mouth. And that's how it survives. I'm telling you these two stories, the glass of lemonade that is sweating and this bug that has dew forming on the back of it because that water was coming from the air. Air around us always contains some amount of water vapors. The ability of the air to hold onto this water depends on the temperature. If the temperature drops, the air loses its ability to hold water, and this results in the formation of fog or dew, or if you hold your hand really close up to your glass of lemonade or tea, don't touch it, just really close to it, you'll feel that the air around it is cold because of the ice in the glass. By understanding these concepts, You can now grasp that the best way to get water out of air is to cool it down. So how do we cool it down? Well, there are many options. Liquid nitrogen, nuclear reactions, build a whole bunch of air conditioners and just put them outside. (laughs) Or we can take advantage of Earth's natural properties and let it do the work for us. Once upon a time, I had electric-based air conditioning, and then I switched to geothermal. The earth itself, like inside, if you dig a hole six feet down, 
the earth is generally 45 to 50 degrees. This is mostly accurate for the whole globe all year round. Anywhere you live, if you dig six feet down, you'll be hitting around 45 to 50 degrees. Marvelous. If you have ever been in a cave that goes down into the earth, it's about the same temperature, 45 to 50 degrees all year round. That's a good survival tip, by the way. Yes, there are exceptions, like the tundra of Antarctica, or one time I went into a cave in Aruba, and I toured it as a teenager when we were there, and it was basically, we were getting baked in an oven at that point, because the cave was above ground, it was not down in the ground, so you need to find a cave down in the ground if you're in a survival scenario to either warm you up in the winter or cool you down in the summer. Anyways, if the earth can heat and cool my house... We did a whole episode on geothermal, but the gist is there's a bunch of tubes that hold water that form a loop, and these tubes are going all throughout my yard, (laughs) and the water is circulating in it, so the water will go through the tubes, get to the proper temperature, and then it goes into the heat pump in my house, and it can either heat up or cool down my home temperature, the air in my house, using the earth's properties to heat or cool the water that's effectively running the geothermal system. Constantine took this concept and used it to create his device. So he called it a water condenser. This device was constructed using common materials from a hardware store. He got a solar-powered fan, a small one, PVC pipe, and copper wiring. This device is about four feet tall, but very thin, and has two parts to it. The first part is the above ground piece. There's a small solar panel on top of the PVC pipe, and the PVC pipe itself is about one and a half to two inches in diameter. So that's what I mean by it's about two feet tall, but very thin. It's literally one and a half to two inches in diameter the pipe is, and then the solar panel on top isn't much bigger, about six inches or so. The solar panel powers a small electric turbine or a fan that is attached to the PVC pipe. This turbine draws in the hot air into the PVC pipe and it forces the air down to the coil. And that coil is the second piece. And that is the heat exchange coil and it is located underground. So this whole entire contraption is about four feet. Two feet is above ground, two feet is down in the ground. So you would bury part of it and the coil is down in the ground, again using the temperature of the earth to cool that warm air down and form condensation. The hot air is drawn in by the fan, pushed down the PVC pipe, hits the coil which is underground, the heat escapes into the surrounding ground, and when the coil turns cold, the water particles from the hot air will condense on it. The water that condenses on the coil will now collect in a reservoir, and this water that is collected in the reservoir is completely drinkable, and this is regardless of air pollution. This water can be used for drinking, for irrigating crops, really anything that you need water for, it can be used for. On a good sunny day, one water condenser device will generate about a third of a gallon of dew which is water. Since 2015, Constantine has become a leader in electronics recycling energy in Moscow. He is also the vice president of a branch of Engineers Without Borders. This means he gets to travel to third world countries and work on engineering projects to benefit those who live in poverty. 
There are many other companies who have come up with similar models. One is called Source. They are based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Think of a solar panel that would go on your roof or out in your yard, really anywhere sunny, wherever you feel like putting a solar panel. It is a box that looks like a very thick solar panel. And this box is four feet by eight feet by three and a half feet. It's pretty big. There is a solar panel on the top of the box and fans or turbines inside of the box that draw in air. The air goes through a condensing process to create dew and the dew water is collected and can feed straight into your house. These boxes are significantly bigger than Constantine's invention, but they do produce more water, enough to suffice a family. If you live in a place where water is scarce, like California, Arizona, or Texas, or if you want to live off-grid, this is one way to get water without having to travel miles to go get it and haul it back. And since it is solar powered, it doesn't affect your electric bill. Or if you want to go off grid again, you won't need electricity to run it. These source hydro panels, that's what they're called. These can be found all over the world. When you go to Source's website, you can see where they're located. It's literally all over the world. But one that stuck out to me that I wanted to share was they are at a girls school in Kenya previously. The kids would walk one to two hours every day to go get water and carry it back. And now it's available at their school and at the hospital in their town and within their community. They can dedicate that time that would have been for walking to get water. They can now dedicate it to learning and getting an education. I think the hydro panel concept provides security and a hope for the future. If you want a fancy hydro panel from Source, it'll run you about $2,000 before installation. It's actually about $5,500 to $6,000 with shipping, installation, and tax for two panels. Or you can look up Constantine's model and make one yourself from supplies at the hardware store. Make three or four of Constantine's depending on the size of your family and how thirsty you are. <laughs> Either way, there are options. You can go cheap and small and tiny, or you can go expensive and fancy. Whatever works best for you in your situation. <laughs> it is time for your challenge. Since Valentine's Day was just a couple of weeks ago, I'm willing to gamble that you might still have your Valentine's Day cards if you received any. And I challenge you to save them and keep them for next year and reuse them. And I'm chuckling a little bit to myself because my sister Dawn, who listens to this podcast, does this with her husband every year. She uses the same Valentine's Day card every year. And she texted me to let me know that she's been going five years strong now of using the same card every year. And he doesn't know. Well, he might know and he's just not saying anything. He might be just being really polite. But either way, that is sustainable. <laughs> that is sustainable for sure. And if you've already tossed your Valentine's Day card, well, hopefully you didn't trash them. <laughs> hopefully you recycled them or did something else with them. But if it's too late for Valentine's, you can save it for the next holiday or birthday or anniversary, whatever the next occasion is where you'll be receiving cards. Keep them and reuse them and repurpose them. And see how many times you can do it before anybody catches on. 
The next episode will be March 13th. That's right around spring break. Hopefully you've got a fun trip planned somewhere, maybe, possibly, or just hanging out at home. Either way, I hope you enjoy the nice spring weather and the break from school or the break from work, whatever the case may be. Until then, continue saving the world, Sustainer Nation, and I will talk to you all again on March 13th. Have a great one. Bye.